podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hi everybody, this is the Cricket Badger Podcast. Each badger marks the track with its own scent. His black legs are short but very powerful for digging. The name badger probably comes from the French word bêche, meaning digger. Hello everybody, welcome along to another edition, it's the Cricket Badger Podcast and got a really good guest for you today, he's an old mate of mine from my time when I was working at Yorkshire County Cricket Club, Dion Craig, she came across as a cold pack, played five years at Headingley, a really good bloke and I think that comes across in this chat that I have with Dion and if you're looking for a bowling coach as you'll hear. Dion Crashey is looking to move into coaching. I think he's got plenty of wisdom to pass on to young bowlers out there. We start the podcast as well by borrowing some audio from Yorkshire County Cricket Club. Thank you for them. Got their permission for playing a little segment of their chat with Anthony McGrath, who told some really good tales actually on that podcast, and one of which was about Dion Crash. So we play that at the start, and then we get Dion's reaction to that. And then we go into the Cricket Badger 20 questions with Dion on this edition of the podcast. Thanks to tvsportsblog.com for their support of the Cricket Badger podcast. It's been hugely appreciated over the last few weeks of lockdown. Give them a follow as well on Twitter, at TV Sports Blog. Plenty of really good podcasts to come. Got some really big names actually just around the corner. So stay tuned, like and subscribe and do all of those nice things that you can do to help the Cricket Badger podcast out. And if you subscribe, they come straight into your phone or your inbox or whatever, and you can keep up to date with when the new ones come. Also, give us a follow on at cricket underscore badger because you'll see all of the podcasts coming out on that channel too. But let's get into this edition of the Cricket Badger podcast. Dion Kreish, terrific guy, really good bowler, a fan's favourite at Yorkshire County Cricket Club. We'll start off with that little bit of a segment where Tim Bresnan and Richard Pyra are talking to Anthony McGrath. Max tells a really good tale. And then we'll get Dion's reaction to that off the back of it. And then we're into the Cricket Badger 20 questions with today's guest, Dion Kreish, on this edition of the Cricket Badger podcast. It's that Badger style. going to play you a little bit of audio. Yorkshire County Cricket Club, which is close to both of our hearts, have started this podcast. Yeah. Um, Tim Bresnant, who you know very well. Richard Pyra, who you know very well. Had a guest on that you know very well as well the other day. Anthony yeah. McGrath was their guest. We know Max. He's, uh, he's good fun. And uh, he's got a mischievous streak to him. He played a prank on yeah. you, and it went something along these lines. Yorkshire public will, will know Dion well. A great, great servant for the club opening bowler. Big African. We're missing home. And he loved his... South African produce. He loved his biltong and duravos and everything. And he kept telling the lads for weeks, I've got this order coming, biltong, duravos, I'll give you boys some fizzy drinks from South Africa, crisps and everything. So the day it came, a massive cardboard box. Dion's so excited, he rings his wife. It's arrived, it's arrived. I'll be home straight after play, not getting a shower. You know, we'll be eating well tonight. But unfortunately, a little bit mischievous. Dion went out to bat and normally when he went out to bat you, you knew he didn't have long so um, managed to get down to the dressing room head in the old dressing rooms we took everything out of the box and it was packed full with, with uh, all the good packaging stuff we put in a toaster cocoa pops what fizz left some bread some ashtrays just anything that I'd get the weight up taped it back up put it in his spot sure enough Dion were out four balls later didn't think of it went out to bowl for an hour straight in Lads, sorry boys, can't stay. I'm getting back for the old wife. So the lads are all in on the gag. We managed to get his meat and save it with John, the room attendant. But he's got home. He's obviously opened the package and he's absolutely distraught. His wife's gone crazy. 
Um, at first, he thought it would have wrong order. I think he's rung the people up and said, no, no, we've got the order here. And then he put two and two together. I must have had 80 missed calls that night on my answer phone. I'm blaming me, calling me every name under the sun. So I'm thinking, I need to get in next morning and make sure this meet's all right. But when I got there, him and his wife were waiting at the entrance to see where this meat and produce were. Um, so uh, he wasn't very happy, Deanna. Is it right he didn't speak to you for two months after that? It wasn't two months that he didn't speak to me for a while. And every time he bowled it next to me, he didn't pitch him up. But um, yeah, we managed to have a laugh about it after that. But he wasn't an happy chappy. No, didn't go down well. So there we have it. That's Anthony McGrath's version of A Pranky Played on You, Dion Kreish, back in the day. Is that how you remembered it? <laughs> uh, I do, yes. I was um, told by Alice to uh, go and listen to it. We, Myself and Marna got a mention. And it's also a day I'll never forget. It's true. I got this whole box of goodies from the South African shop. And, you know, I'd just been there for about a month or so and, you know, missing home and wanting all the goodies. And I'm rushing home with this box and I open it and it's just like sandwiches and Lucozade bottle boxes. And I'm like, no, they sent the wrong order. And then I get the receipt in there. And then, but I did order the right things. So where are they? And then first thing, well, obviously the first name that pops into my head is Anthony McGraw. And as he said, I did phone him. And when he didn't answer, it just um, made me realize that I've got the right person. And I was a little bit upset because, uh, you know, I was so looking forward to it. And he sort of expected me to come back the next day and be all uh, uh, laughing about it and joking. And I was actually, I wasn't. Um, but yeah, we got over it. And and I think it's probably a good thing to happen at that stage. You know, it sort of makes you feel part of the team because if people don't sort of do those things with you, you're not really being seen as part of the team, I feel. So yeah. in retrospect, I probably could have acted a little bit differently, but it was it was one of the memories that will stick in my mind for sure. Well, Bre- Brezzy says on their recording that you didn't speak to him for two months. Max says it was a bit less than that. How long did you <laughs> no. actually keep him in the cold for? No, I can't remember. I can't remember. It wasn't <laughs> that long. I don't think it was that long. He nicked your biltong and he nicked all your stuff that you got sent across from South Africa. You didn't speak to him for a few days. It all got patched up. Everything's yeah. fine now. But did you get mm-hmm. him back for doing that? Uh, no, not as far as I know. So I, I was the I was the better man. <laughs> <laughs> it's not too late. Uh, no, I actually said to him the other day, if, if he gets sick of Andre now, I'm available as a bowling coach. So I'll try and stick in his good books for now. It's a really good podcast that they've got going there, Brezzy and, and Richie P. They've got mm. guests on every single week. Yeah. We're all in the cricket family. Have a listen to that. It's a special club and it's a very, very good podcast they're doing. It's that Badger style. On the Cricket Badger podcast just recently, I've mentioned the fact that there are really nice guys in cricket. We've had a few of them on the Cricket Badger podcast of late. And just because I don't actually say somebody's a nice guy at times, it doesn't mean the others aren't. Because uh, I think we're very lucky in cricket that we're littered with uh, very, very good blokes indeed. And this next man is no exception at all. I know him from my time with Yorkshire. Dion Kreish is the South African that came across the Headingley as a coal pack and certainly left as a, a crowd favourite from uh, the Yorkshire camp. And I started off an interview just recently with him. I started the 20 questions with him and we did the whole interview for about an hour. 
and then it corrupted on my laptop. And to show how nice he is, he's back on the show again to do it all again. Dion, how are you? I'm good and you, James. It's probably because I've talked too much that it got corrupted. <laughs> well, at least you know the questions now, don't you? So you've, you've had a bit of a head start on a few people that have done it uh, cold. I mentioned, I mean, just to start off with, you, you came across the heading league. Yorkshire didn't even take overseas players until 1992 when they signed a certain Sachin Tendulkar to be the first overseas player. But you came across as a, a cold pack to Headingley at a time where, yeah. you know, in, in a lot of English cricket, people were kind of calling cold packs sort of mercenaries and, and not and not right. They were denying younger players a chance in the side. Did you did you get any resentment when you first arrived at Headingley? And if you did, it didn't seem to take too long for you to win the crowd over. Uh, I don't really feel that I had any resentment. Um, I, I think the, the, the Headingley faithful, if I may call them that, uh, respect you by what you do on the field. So if they see you giving 100%, then they sort of accept you as one of their own. And luckily for me, I think, I never knew any other way of of playing cricket. I noticed, I mentioned you on Twitter just recently, and somebody, a Yorkshire fan, said, one of the most underappreciated cricketers ever. He gave everything. He was a real favourite of mine. It was a tweet along those lines. And when you see that, even now from the Yorkshire faithful, that must tickle the heartstrings a little bit. Without a doubt. Um, I've been fortunate enough to the last couple of weeks also on, on Facebook, there's been um, a couple of pictures of some of the older um, games that were played and uh, an appreciation for some of the overseas players that played. And uh, I've had some interaction with some of the people and, and it's been brilliant. I you know, thoroughly enjoyed my time there. And it was it was probably one of the, the best times of, of of, of my life where, you know, while playing cricket, uh, making new friends. I think we did reasonably well. We probably could have done better with some of the players that we've had. Um, but if I look back on it, it was uh, only fond memories. I can remember I was working as the, the media manager, as you know, when you were at, uh, at Yorkshire. And we did a little on-pitch presentation for you to say goodbye to you when you played your final game. You had your wife and... Uh, was it, was it the one child at the time? I can't remember, but the uh, there the, are your, your children are bigger now. Um, but there were a few tears in the eyes that day, weren't there? You you were you were sad to go. I was, I was. Obviously, for various reasons. Uh, you know, when you've only known cricket for eighteen to twenty years, um, having to stop playing is, is quite a a big thing. And then, obviously, like I said, my five years there were special and. Uh, I probably would have liked to have done even more. Uh, I think I always gave 100% and it might not always have gone the way uh, you wanted it to, but that's sport, I, I suppose. But there were definitely tears. And, and my eldest daughter, Lay, was uh, just turning three then. And, and my wife was in Marna. And, and now my, my daughter, who's uh, turning 14 this year, is taller than Marna. So, and I've got two other girls uh, for all my sins. Um, but yeah, like I, I've, I've said uh, numerous times, just like special, special memories. We actually came across the picture of, of the presentation and the, the shirt. Remember those gold and, and black uh, yes. Carnegie shirts that we had? Uh, and I had one made for her, which was too big for her at that stage. And now it's, it's not even fitting my youngest daughter. Um, <laughs> so yeah, it's amazing how time flies. Well, when we did this uh, interview the first time, the the unfortunate take that never was really, 
Um, I started off by yep. saying I haven't spoken to you for ages. It was good to talk to you. Well, I, I seem to have spoken to you quite a bit just recently because you, uh, the listeners will have heard you on the hashtag goat cricketer for South Africa and your opinions on who were the greatest test cricketers of all time. But now this is all about you, Dion Creation. Um, I keep saying Kreish, and I remember you saying to me when I asked you how you pronounced your surname, it's Grace. it rhymes with grace. And I've always remembered that and always done it. But I've heard you called all sorts of things. Uh, you know, your, your surname <laughs> is uh, pronounced all, all kinds of different ways, isn't it? Uh, I've, not, I've been called all kinds of things, not just my surname. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, you know, it was Cruz and Cruy and all sorts. But in the end, it doesn't matter. Um, Dion is good enough. Well, Dion, let's get on to your Cricket Badger 20 questions and we'll look back through your life and times in cricket. And we'll start off with question number one. If you hadn't gone into cricket, if cricket had never existed on the planet, what would you have done with your life? <laughs> Obviously, I would have liked to have become a pro golfer. Uh, I think if, if you were good enough to do that now with, obviously, the Tiger Woods era, there's so much money to be made. It is ultra competitive and the margins are small. Um, but if I could have been a really good golfer, that would have been something really special. Well, I'm talking to you on WhatsApp now, and just uh, my mobile phone is uh, in front of me, hooked up with all my machinery here, and uh, there is a picture of you chipping out of the trees there. So it wasn't the best of your drives, but uh, you've obviously rescued it somehow. <laughs> but golf's very important to you. I mean, I've been lucky enough to play uh, a few times with you down the years, and you know, it's something that you've always really enjoyed, isn't it? Without a doubt. I grew up in a golfing, tennis and golfing family, actually. My granddad played golf uh, my dad played golf so I was introduced at a young age and it's always been a passion of mine and I've, I've always been reasonably good at it and uh, at the moment trying to become better and better and maybe um, you know I've been playing some provincial same as county golf over there and maybe pushing to, to play some national uh, representative golf at some stage well, you've got those long limbs haven't you, you I mean I, I, I can remember playing with you at Wyke Golf Club I think there's a par yeah. five there. There must be all of 500 yards. It might even be a little bit more than that. And I was very, mm-hmm. very pleased to get it on in three. Um, that was three almighty hits for me. And you basically pounded it down the middle of the fairway, 411 yards or something like that, and then flipped a pitching wedge into the middle of the green. It was just obscene. Uh, I think it was just a, a gust of wind that took my ball at that stage. Um, but I remember it well. I, was, I think it's the... 16th or 17th at Wyke. We played there quite often. It was fairly dry, but it was maybe just one of those lucky ones that, you, that I somehow managed to get out of the middle of the club. Right, there's another hole as well, which is a dog leg to the, uh, to the right. And it was always, for me, it was, can I drive this far enough to actually open up the green for the second shot? Because can I actually get it far enough past the trees? Then you stand up mm-hmm. and you clobber it over the trees. And I think it was about five inches off the, off the edge of the green. It was, <laughs> you know, I mean, it's, it's a good job you have handicaps in golf, isn't it? That you can play each other and actually not get too down by the fact that you're being trounced by the other player. Yeah, uh, it's, it's the only game in the world that everyone can play at their best and compete. You know, any other sport, uh, someone has to sort of adapt to whatever standard the other one uh, plays at to make it competitive, except golf, because of the handicap system. See, if there'd been a handicap system in cricket, I could have played for England. <laughs> Without a doubt. <laughs> Who was the biggest influence on your cricket career? Uh, there have been many, but I would probably say initially, and the one that really made the biggest difference was Fanny de Villiers. Uh, I was about 14, 15, and we had a coaching clinic at Supersport Park, and he saw me and said, well, uh, you can play for Northern Transvaal, which is now the Titans, 
uh, when you're in matric, which is the year uh, you turn 18. And he sort of got me to go to St. Albans College, which is, which is a private school where uh, the Afrikaans school's cricket wasn't quite as good as they are now in, in Pretoria especially. So he gave me that break initially. And I think making the change to the English school with the coaching we had there, Bob Capel was the pro. Uh, there was a, a teacher, Mr. Jerry Van Bake, who's also passed away now, who uh, also together with uh, finally making it possible had a massive influence uh, on my career. What's been your best moment in cricket? If I could take you back to any 24 hours in your cricketing lifetime, where would you like to go and revisit the uh, the heights and glories of that day? There have been a few good ones. Uh, unfortunately, a few bad ones too. Well, we'll come on to those in a second. Um, let's, do the, let's do the good first. <laughs> okay. I think, once again, I, if I may split this uh, pre-Yorkshire and, and Yorkshire, if I can say, um, maybe the the first game, obviously I started at Northern Transvaal, which is now the Titans, and then moved to Griquas. And the first game for Griquas against my old team, against my old teammates and guys that I grew up with, I got my best, uh, best first loss figures of 7 for 58. So uh, that probably, and I got a couple of runs in the game. We, we, might, we did lose the game, but at least I did well, which was fine. And then at Yorkshire, there were many, many good, Good moments. Uh, obviously, getting promotion the first year, getting a few wickets were, was good. But there was, there was probably one, there's a one-day game that sort of stands out a little bit in my head. Goffey was captain and, uh, against Northampton. And uh, I think it was Pro 40 at that stage. Uh, what was his name again? Uh, the batsman. He was he was pretty good um, David, for them. Uh, David Sales. Uh, David Sales. David Sales. David Sales. Yeah, they got off to a, a good start. I think they only bowled two or three overs initially. Uh, little O'Brien got a couple of runs, and I wanted to bowl next over, and Goffey took me off, and I sulked a little bit, and I was, it was wrong of me. But anyway, I think it helped me towards the end when when Goffey sort of brought me back. The fact that he took me off early and uh, I sulked a little bit and built up a bit of anger helped me. And uh, managed to get a couple of wickets, three or four for one, uh, I suppose. Can't exactly remember, but I know bowling David Sells with maybe uh, them needing one or two runs for victory. And, and I think that helped us for promotion in the Pro 40 League as well. So that was, if I have to think back, um, a highlight. And then my last ever 50 over game at the Oval, I bowled a double maiden wicket where they got 320. And I think I got three for 24 and eight in the game. So oh, there were so many good moments, to be honest. One of my favourite of yours wasn't with your, with ball in hand. You were always somebody who came in at number 11 and you liked to have, I mean, your goal swing was um, pretty re- sort of representative of your, of your cricketing style at times. You liked to hit the ball a long way or get out quickly. That was tended to be how you batted, Dion. Yeah. But there was one day at Scarborough where yourself and Matthew Hoggard also not necessarily known for his batting, but you really did dig in and uh, there was a last wicket stand there un- unbroken that managed to salvage a draw, which looked very improbable when you came together. Yeah, no, it was, it was actually Headingley against Lancashire. Oh, God, yeah, of course it was. Was there another yeah, one you did yeah. at, at Scarborough? That, I seem to remember sitting uh, at Scarborough uh, where you... Yeah, yes, it was against Kent. We um, uh, batted out the last eight overs or so and uh, it was 2008. I remember the balls that year were terrible. And we kept asking ECB, can we go back to the 2007 balls because they were better, they used to swing. And during that game, the ECB said, yes, you can use the 2007 balls again. And we had 50 overs or so to bat out. And uh, they got a ball that just went all over. 
Uh, Ryan McLaren was still playing for them. And I had to bat the, I think it was the last eight overs or so. And we managed to somehow survive against the swinging ball. So, yeah, look, my batting wasn't always that bad. I uh, managed to get a first league or a Premier League 100 when I was 16 every I, year. I, batted I didn't t- say it was top bad. Four at school. But then I, I think when I started playing in Northern, they had like six bowlers who were Elvary Bryson, De Villiers, Bosch, all just bowled short. Those nets were quick and that just scared the living daylights out of me. And even at Vic was, I, I used to bat eight for a long time until the captain said to me, no, no, you're carrying the bowling attack. I just need you to bowl. And then I sort of went to number 11 and, and sort of started batting like a number 11. So, And also playing club cricket at, at, at Walsden, I actually I did the double one year. I got 1,000 runs and 100 wickets. So if the guys were slow enough, <laughs> I was brave enough. Often think with batsmen, I mean, you mentioned sort of batting at number 11 and batting like a number 11. I always think that with Adil Rashid, who you know very well as well yeah. for your time at Yorkshire. That you know, You've seen him score centuries for Yorkshire when he's been batting yeah. at number six, or he, I think he even got as high as number five in the order at yeah. uh, one stage. And yet when he goes yeah. down, I mean, for England in the one-day matches, I mean, this is partly because England are so strong, mm-hmm. but when he comes in at number 11, he often bats like a number 11, and he's, he's better than that, isn't he? I, it sometimes frustrates me a little bit. Oh, way better than that, without a doubt. But it's it's a mindset. It's, uh, it's sort of the stigma of a number 11 batsman or even a number 10, which is unfortunate. When you get the opportunity to open, you'll, you'll bat like an opening batsman. So, um, yeah, sometimes it's just, like I say, it's just a bit of a mindset. I'd, I'd love to have seen you opening the batting for Yorkshire to see if that was true. Uh, I uh, did in a couple of benefit games. I got 50 a couple of times, if I remember correctly. Oh, there you go then. <laughs> Proof is in the pudding and you're, and you're right. <laughs> <laughs> but not against show up and the guys. Cricket Badger Podcast is brought to you in association with tvsportsblog.com. Give them a follow on Twitter at tvsportsblog. Excellent sporting content. It's well worth a look and give them a follow on Twitter at tvsportsblog. What was your worst moment in cricket? We talked about your best ones. If you could go back and not relive a day, you want to forget it, you want to wipe it from your memory, what's your worst moment in cricket? <laughs> too, too many. <laughs> Every time you got out for no runs. I actually remember my first A-section game. I got a pair, funnily enough, against Franklin Stevenson. And he was fast at one stage in his career, but at that stage, he wasn't that fast. But I was just like, I saw this guy and I knew about Franklin Stevenson. I was 18 years old and he got me out for, for nothing. And um, maybe if you can go back and, and change that and you know, work on your mindset a little bit. But you know, also, that's where cricket has evolved. The, the younger kids play so much more or they get exposed so much more to even international cricket, senior cricket, uh, than what we were. We were a little bit more protected. Um, so I think it's in that sense, it's a little bit different guys coming now and they feel they're almost ready to play at 18 and 19 where we almost had to go through that schooling process for a number of years. When you're batting, I mean, you, you can psych yourself out, can't you? You see somebody coming on mm. to bowl at you and all of a sudden you think, oh, well, I'm going to be going to be mincemeat yeah. here. I can remember a school game I played, certainly not in the standard that you're talking about, but we, we turned up and got changed and the the opposition side had this six foot four he, he was a black fella, and there was a room. A rumor went round our dressing room that they got this West Indian fast bowler, and we all started saying, "I don't want to open. I don't want to go in. I don't want what he's going to kill us." Anyway, it turned out we got halfway through this game. He came on to bowl really tame off spin. So sometimes it doesn't always go. It doesn't always manifest itself in the way you think it's going to do. Uh, the the six inches between your ears are so so important. 
Yeah, and uh, yeah, sometimes there's not a lot in between my ears at times when it came to cricket. But (laughs) (laughs) makes two of us. Who was your cricket hero when you were young? Was there a poster boy on the the young Dion's wall? I think there were a few. I think Alan Donald was definitely one of them. Just wanting to bowl fast. I think uh, that's something every well, not everyone, especially me, wanted to do. I mentioned Farney earlier. Tertius Bosch was a guy who played as well, who was quite quick. Um, so those are probably the ones. And then I have to uh, give a mention to Richard Hadley too. I think uh, people knew of him. Uh, he wasn't necessarily an out and out fast bowler. Um, for all of his life, I think he, he sort of changed and adapted a little bit because of his role in New Zealand cricket. Um, Lily could have been, uh, but uh, we didn't really have that much knowledge of him. But actually, the, the, if I think back now, the first one that really had an impact on me was Ian Botham. I remember having a, a Duncan Fernley attack cricket bat when I was in primary school. Yeah. It was way too big for me. And that probably also caused my lack of batting uh, prowess. Um, but uh, Ian Botham, I think to a lot of cricketers, was uh, a hero. I, I had an Alan Lamas Slazinger that had the little humpback uh, on the on the back of it. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I always tried to bat like him. If you could trade lives, Dion Crace, with any current player, I'll, I'll let you go back in time if you want to, but uh, you can live yeah. in their skin for a day. You can have their talent, you can have their lives, you can experience what it's like to be them as a cricketer. Who would you pick? Ben Stokes. That's an easy one, I think, um, because he does both. I, I think he's a phenomenal cricketer. Well, and a, and a great fielder. Um, I think he's a talisman for English cricket. Uh, I've, I've seen some of his innings. He's just got so much time. He makes it look so easy. And bowling-wise, he makes things happen. Uh, thinking back of the Test match now against South Africa at Newlands, where he came on at the end and, and really bust open the uh, game towards the end, he's definitely the kind of guy I would like to have been. Were you watching the uh, heroics at your old ground, Headingley, when he... Uh... He got England oh, across the line against Australia? I did, I did. I always watch every game from Headingley. I just love watching and obviously the memories there. Uh, that was, I've seen some unbelievable innings and that has to be one of the best innings I've ever seen. You know, initially he played out of character. Uh, he bided his time, paid his dues, call it whatever you want. And yes, he had a bit of luck towards the end with the referral that was used before that would have uh, gotten him out to the LBW and the run-out could have been up. But he deserved that luck. Every batter will tell you you need luck and he deserved it. And just the way he marshaled it and you could sense uh, Australia also knowing as long as he's there, the impossible is possible. And Headingley seems to dish up cricket matches like that year after year. There'll be few and far between, I'm sure, with a, a player of your quality. But was there a day you can recall where... You were running into bowl. Everything had been going quite well. And there was one bloke that just tore your side apart. And he was the difference between the two sides. And there's just no matter what you did, you could bowl the best ball yeah. you've ever bowled in, the, in your life. And you'd see it disappearing over midweekend mm. for six. Yeah, not necessarily always disappearing. Um, yes, there were games like that. But I actually now with the Under-19 World Cup that was in South Africa, start of the year, caught up with Andy Flower. And I said to him, I'll never forget. That first season, we played Essex in my first game. I didn't get any wickets. It was quite flat. Uh, then they came to Headingley, and it was a typical Headingley overcast day. The ball was swinging. I was in good rhythm. I got wickets. 
and he got a double hundred and he just played the ball so late. It was almost like the ball had gone past him and he'd play it. And, and that for me is almost more of an art than someone always just like hitting it for a four or a six. Mm. Um, so for me, that really stood out. And that's the first thing I said to him when I saw him, I said, mm, I'll never forget that. I'm going to put you in charge of world cricket for a day. You're the head honcho now at the ICC. You've got your name on the door. You've got all the power in the world. What would you do to change cricket to make it better? Um, you'd want to say less T20 cricket uh, because I, I think test cricket is still the pinnacle and you still need test cricket because that gives you the skill set to be successful in the shorter format of the game. Day night test matches, I think, have been good. I wouldn't go to four-day test matches. Um, the main thing for me would be just to preserve test cricket as, a, as it is and make sure that you find a way for it to be successful in the calendar. I, I had Brad Hogg on the other day, and he, he, was, um, he came up with something. and he, He's written a, an article on this, but he's basically sort of compartmentalised the, the cricketing year, the 365 days. He's got so many for test match cricket. He's got so many for 50 overs. Mm-hmm. He's got so many for 2020. And everybody, all the teams around the globe internationally play the same amount of games because we see you know, Ireland are breaking into the test arena, but they're almost like an afterthought yeah. in terms of the fixture list. Yeah. England, Australia and India, because they're the most powerful nations, they seem to monopolise the, the best tours and get things their own way. And he wanted to see yeah. kind of a slightly better distribution of the wealth and, and uh, encourage some of the smaller nations to play more cricket so they can get better because we all, all want to see competitive series. Well, if it's really the goal of the ICC to spread the gospel of cricket, then that's what it should be. You, then you should practice what you preach. It is hard. The big three do have a, a big say in, in what is happening in, in world cricket and, and probably in a way rightly so because they generate the revenue. But in the end, everyone's a supporting act in, in the big play. So if you, if you don't have the others, then uh, maybe the, the bottom will fall out of uh, the bigger picture. So I think it's a brilliant idea. I'm going to brace myself here for a few tweets coming in from the Indian listeners. But India is a fantastic nation, play cricket and brilliant. They've got some fun, wonderful players. And they've got a population yeah. that loves the game. But there's a, there's, there's a fine line sometimes, I think, from being a powerful nation and a, and a positive influence on the game and being bullies and getting your own way. And I think sometimes yeah. that financial clout gives them a little bit too much of the latter. Yeah, yeah, it's, 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 a, it's a really difficult one. And one thing you have to say is Indian cricket has become really good. Uh, it's not often you see Indian seamers out bowling South African and Australian seamers. So, yes, you have to give it to them. They are a powerhouse and they've got the viewers and the support, but they've also gained the knowledge through the IPL and, and the people that have got into the IPL to become this powerhouse on the field too. And I wouldn't take England and Australia out of that equation either. They, they certainly have their moments where they've you know, exercised their power in the world game and got yeah. their own way at times. So uh, I, I, don't, I don't always think that's healthy. You know, India and Australia and, and England are fantastic mm. cricketing nations. There are other countries yeah. out there that play the game and we want to see them doing well too, I think. We really need West Indies to be good again. Absolutely. I mean, I grew yeah. up in the 80s watching Viv Richards and, and, and oh. the, the battery of four pacemen and stuff. And that West Indian yeah. side was just incredible. 
And yeah, they're, yeah. they're starting to shape up as if they're coming back a little bit, aren't they? I think they've got good people yeah. in charge of West Indian cricket. So touch wood, they're coming through. I hope so. I hope so. If you were starting your career again, if you could write to yourself as the present day Dion Creation, you could write to yourself maybe when you were 14 or something and wide eyed and looking forward mm-hmm. to trying to become a professional cricketer. What advice would you uh, include in that letter? <laughs> work hard and work harder than you thought you should have worked. Looking at a couple of documentaries on everyone's talking about the last dance, Michael Jordan, yep. and yep. Uh, reading, reading about Kobe Bryant, especially those guys, how much harder they work than the next guy. Um, I think I worked pretty hard, but I probably, every, I think everyone could have done a little bit more. And then uh, obviously I've had a bit of time to think about it. The one thing I think was, which maybe could have gotten me to be a, a little bit better was, I think my natural length was maybe a foot or two too short. I think if I managed to get that length, that natural length, a little bit fuller, I could have been a little bit more effective. Was that because, uh, I mean, I, I, when Dizzy first came across and played for Yorkshire, um, I always got the feeling that he bowled it a little bit too short at times because he was mm. the Australian length. And and you would yeah. have grown up on hard and bouncy pitches in South Africa yeah. where you were, you know, in, Tempted to bowl it a little bit shorter because you got a bit more bounce. And you come across to England and you're playing in the county championship and pitching up another five feet or something like that would get you more rewards, wouldn't it? But it, mm. it's uh, something you have to train your mind to do. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's often, you know, Mourne, who also played for, for Yorkshire, and I think if you look at his last year in test cricket, he got that the length just right. And, and that's where Dale Stain was so good. His natural length was always challenging the top of off stump or top of the stump. And I think that's, you know, we spoke about his record in the other podcast and and length is so important. So maybe I was a little bit stubborn with that and I could have maybe, uh, if I was in a, in a better system with all due respect again, but earlier with the guys with a little bit more knowledge and, and really pushed hard at me for, for working and getting that length a little bit better. Uh, who knows what could have happened? You mentioned Morning Morco coming across the heading there. I remember that well. And lovely lads. Uh, yeah, mm-hmm. That's the only time I've ever met him, but he was a, a terrific lad. And yeah, I think he bowled 14.1, 17.1 overs for Yorkshire. Then he came down with an injury and never played for the club again. He would have, mm-hmm. he'd have made a big difference, wouldn't he? Because yeah. Yeah, he's, he's a quality player. Without a doubt. I think his first season at, at Surrey proved that. Once again, talking about lengths, he got the lengths right and phew, more than a handful. They say rock stars want to be sportsmen and vice versa. If you could have been famous, Dion Crash, doing something else, you could have been a rock star, the lead guitarist, you could have been an actor, you could have been anything you wanted to be. What would you have fancied doing? Um, I think you've, you're you going to say golf again, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, would have, I wouldn't mind. Obviously, they, they have a rock star life too. Um, but I, I love music. Um, I love listening to music. I like singing along when no one else can hear, especially our baby. I do sing, but I wish I could sing properly. I remember, uh, for example, watching Robbie Williams in Round A Park, uh, and just 90,000 people are there adoring you, and it has to be such a massive high uh, to be able, through your voice, manipulate people's feelings and emotions and all sorts. Uh, we watched the documentary on Pavarotti, uh, on the weekend, and I I had tickets to to his show in Hyde Park. I think it was 2001 when I was playing club cricket in uh, in Isha down in Surrey, and I couldn't go. And and to this day, that's one of the biggest disappointments of my life. So uh, to be able to to sing like that and be on a world stage 
you know, talk about Queen during Live Aid. Oh, unbelievable. I'll tell you what, if you, if you can't sing, I can't sing either. We could, we could form um, maybe half of the worst ever aging boy band in history, couldn't we? <laughs> I'm not sure that's going to go down well. We might get four. We might get. We, we probably won't get golden buzzers. We'd get the four crosses on on Britain's Got Talent, without a doubt. We'll last about three seconds, I think, on that show. <laughs> yeah. Discover one of the most beautiful lifestyle resorts in the Caribbean at the Accra Beach Hotel and Spa, located on the south coast of Barbados. This beachfront property offers 224 rooms, sparkling pools, four restaurants, three bars, an on-site spa, event and conferencing facilities, and a welcoming team providing unparalleled relaxation to make your stay a memorable one. What are you waiting for? Book your reservation at this award-winning hotel today and experience the Caribbean dream. If you could meet anybody, living or dead, who would you like to meet and have a have a chin wag with? Ah, uh, that's also an easy one. It has to be Tiger Woods. Uh, you've alluded to how big a golf fan I am. Uh, sure, there are plenty of cricketers, and I've been fortunate enough to have spoken to a lot of cricketers, but Tiger for me would be the ultimate. Uh, just to pick his brain on on technique and. You know, how to handle certain situations, et cetera, et cetera, would be unbelievable. And I actually had the opportunity to, to meet him once. <laughs> and um, this is also, uh, I have to tell the story. So this was 1998. Uh, Kepler Vessels was our captain and we played against Western Province on the Friday night at Newlands. And the Sunday we were due to play Easterns in Benoni. And I had a mate who was working for Nike at that stage. He was in charge of the footwear and he said to me, at that stage, it was called the Million Dollar. It's now the NetBank Golf Challenge. And he said, no, you know, Tiger's, it's only yet Tiger played. He wants me to do a promotion with Tiger and Nikki Price on the Sunday. Can I do it? And I said, no, I've got this game. And then we played on, like I said, on uh, Newlands on the Friday. We got beaten. I got dropped. I didn't even play on the Sunday. And I missed the opportunity of, of meeting Tiger. So, wow, something I'll never get over in my life until I actually maybe one day do get the opportunity of meeting him. Dean Crace is the man that's uh, stood up Pavarotti and stood up Tiger Woods. Yeah, terrible. They're going to make Dion Crace the movie. Who is going to play the <laughs> starring role? We're going to have to go for the guy who has almost the same surname as me. We'll have to go for Tom Cruise. We'll just we'll just lengthen him a little bit. Um, <laughs> Stick him on the rack. <laughs> but I think he... <laughs> yeah. Well, if he can play Jack Reacher, who's supposed to be 6'5 and 250 pounds, he can play me, surely. I'm not quite 250 pounds at the moment, but yeah, I think Tom Cruise would be would be good. He'll bring a bit of passion, a bit of action. Uh, hopefully, people will enjoy it. It's hard though, Dion, to uh, race in from the rugby stand when you stood on a, on a on a box to make yourself look taller, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> definitely, definitely. Hopefully, it's a new ball. At least it'll still bounce. <laughs> What's the last time you can remember feeling really nervous? Were you a nervous cricketer? I was. I was. Um, I think everyone is is nervous, just in different ways. I used to start visualizing, you get a little bit agitated, irritated, uh, and I think you do need the nerves to just get you up. Um, but once you you run in and you start running that first ball or so, 
the nerves are gone. Um, but I, I think you, de- you, you definitely need it just to get your, your levels just a little bit heightened for, for the occasion. What is the top item on your bucket list? Things to do before you die. What's number one? Oh, play golf at Augusta. I was going to say to you when you mentioned Tiger Woods before, can you, you know, talk about meeting him? Imagine playing 18 holes around Augusta with somebody like Tiger oh. Woods. How good would that be? Uh, uh, I can't exactly say the way I was going to express myself to that, but that would be <laughs> unbelievable. And as we said, you've all got handicaps, so you could beat him. Um, I wouldn't care. <laughs> It'll just be an unforgettable experience. Even just to carry his bags, though, or something like that, would be terrific, oh, wouldn't it? Yeah, without a doubt. Uh, you know, he has changed uh, the sport. He's, he's probably the only sportsman that moves the needle. I know there was um, a guy who did a, an insert on it where, you know, when, when Jordan, all these guys in various sports retired, yes, viewership went down a little bit and then it sort of picked up and the same with attendances. But when Tiger doesn't play, it's half. Yeah. So he he has changed the sport. You get you get certain iconic sportsmen. You mentioned too there, Tiger Woodson, Michael Jordan, you know, David Beckham potentially mm-hmm. in, in football, who yeah. tra- transcend the sport. They become... Yeah, popular culture icons, don't they? And they, you know, they go into pop culture rather than just sporting culture. Yeah, without a doubt. Are you a morning or a night person? Oh, definitely a night person. So I am. Um, you're the first I, person I've had on this I, podcast for ages that's admitted to being a night person. Everybody else is saying I'm a morning person. I like to get things done before no, breakfast. No, no, definitely not. No, I'm, I, I, look, if I go to bed early, that's fine, but. I sort of get over that initial tiredness and then I can stay awake quite late. And uh, I might be awake early, but I'll just like, I'll just lie in bed and, and I watch a bit of TV even and just try and sleep again. But no, def- definitely not a morning person, unless it's for golf. <laughs> That's the only thing that can get you out of bed, out from under the duvet. Yeah. yeah. On a scale of yep. one to 10, 10's the Fonz, the coolest man on the planet. Where would you put yourself on that spectrum? How cool are you? Uh, <laughs> It it all depends who's um, uh, who's listening and uh, their opinions. Between five and six, I'll be I'll be more than happy. I think it'll um, not sound too arrogant, and some people will think I'm not that cool. They'll think uh, he's not maybe not that bad. If you had access to a time machine, you can go forwards or backwards. Where would you drive it to to see what it was like in that time? At the moment, I'd like to drive it forward so we can get out of the lockdown. Oh, um, don't we all? Um, but, well, maybe go back in time. A couple of hundred years, I think, if you look at Africa, we've, you know, in our history, we, we've heard these stories about the plains roaming with, with antelope and, and all sorts. And uh, I'd love to almost soar like an eagle and just see these herds that they were talking about, the elephant, the, the springbok, all sorts. And, and also Euro- European history. You go, you have Rome and all the Colosseums and, and we have all these remakes of what it was like, etc. So I'd like to go back in time and, and, and sort of just be almost like in a third person, uh, just see what it was really like. Got a suggestion for you. You could go back in time to like a, about a month before Tiger Woods is born, befriend his uh, parents, and you could become his agent and just basically just experience the whole thing with him, couldn't you? <laughs> wow. Now that would, be, that would be a little bit sneaky. Um, but, oh, wouldn't that be something special? I think to the guys in his, in his inner circle are, are quite fortunate. Um, and obviously he was, he was obviously very close to his parents, especially his dad. But that would be something special, you know, to sort of uh, grow up with him and, 
and maybe advise him. You know, he's been he's been so good, but I, I think he's also changed in the in the latter part of his career. In a way, maybe helping to be a, a little bit different, a little bit more approachable, but also saying that that most of the top guys uh, have that sort of little bit of standoffishness. You know, something that separates them from the, from the pack. So it, it would be a, an an amazing journey to be part of. If you could live anywhere in the world, I'm going to give you the opportunity to buy a second home somewhere. Where would you put that home? Where would you like to uh, spend a bit of time? There's so many places, so many good golf courses. Um, it all, always uh, comes back to golf, doesn't it? It always comes back to golf. <laughs> <laughs> of course. And, and, and somewhere nice to swim. So maybe somewhere tropical. I was fortunate enough to go to um, Bermuda a couple of years ago with uh, the MCC. Uh, the Bahamas also looks nice. A lot of the guys live there with some good golf courses. So maybe somewhere in the Bahamas, uh, some nice weather, some good swimming uh, temperature for uh, ocean and swimming pool. So yeah, somewhere some tropical would be great. Would, would be great. I'll, I'll send you a check. You can buy that. Perfect. Thank you. If you could change one thing about yourself, what would you change? Except my belly at the moment. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I think I'm a little bit impatient at times. Being a Taurus, it's one of our characteristics. Uh, I think I'm maybe, I can be patient, but I'm not always patient. So I think uh, patience is probably something I, I could do with a little bit more. You mentioned earlier on in the in the chat about being quite stubborn when you were younger. Is that something that you've kind of conquered? Are you as stubborn now as you used to be? Uh, unfortunately, once again, being a tourist, it's part and parcel of it. I think you you sort of sometimes have to believe in, in certain things uh, and be stubborn about it if you want to be successful. Um, maybe not so in a way that it's detrimental, but I think if it's, if it's something that's positive and uh, will help you become better then I think it's a good trait uh, it's, it's the same with everything everything can be positive or a negative surely absolutely yeah 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 question number 19 Dion Krish we've nearly got to the end of your 20 questions on the Cricket Badger podcast thank you very much for joining me today the question is what will you be doing in 10 years time and we heard earlier on your response to uh, Mags's prank and what have you and you mentioned at the end of that keeping in his good book because he wants to be a coach. Is that something you've got on your radar? Is that what you'd like to be doing in 10 years' time, working in cricket as a coach? Yeah, definitely. Obviously, I've been fortunate enough now since I came to York in 2005 to do some cricket commentary. So that's also something I'd like to stay involved in. But I was offered a coaching job when I when I stopped playing. And then for various reasons, my wife and I, we didn't decide to go down that avenue. But at the moment, I'm, I'm quite keen to get back into it. I've done little bits the last year or so and uh, obviously at my time at Headingley uh, we had an exchange program with the academy and and St Andrews School in Bloemfontein and felt you really made an impact and and I feel I've got some good knowledge still to to pass back into the game and and, and I'd like to try my hand at it and and see you know if if I can be good enough and and really try and and like I say uh, help the next guy to be as good as he can be. The problem with cricket I guess is that you know you get people retiring every single year with the same kind of aspirations don't you and there's a lot of competition for those but you've also got quite a few jobs haven't you I mean there's there's lots of it depends what kind of level you're talking about but you know club cricket or whether you go into a school Mm -hmm. or whether you go into the professional game does does it matter to you or Mm -hmm. would you like to get as high as you can? Uh, I suppose everyone wants to go as high as they can. There are a few uh, opportunities here in South Africa, sort of first-class level, which I'm I'm hoping uh, might open a door for me. But yeah, if if that doesn't happen, then uh, surely something will will come along that is right for me at the moment. 
So uh, it's it's just one of those things you have to believe. And, and like I say, hopefully the right door will open and, and I can make a difference. Well, if, you're, uh, if you've got a cricket team and you need a bowling coach, you know who to contact. Dion Kreish is available and raring to go. Definitely. So, question number 20, Dion Kreish. And this is one that people struggle with. You've heard this already, so hopefully you've used the last few days uh, wisely and you've thought about your answer to this one. But if you've been picking these questions, if it had been Kreish on Kreish and you've been interviewing yourself, what would you have asked yourself to get a great and exclusive answer? <laughs> I, mean, I haven't thought about it. I've tried to forget about it, like you said I should. Um, that is a, a good question. Um, was the sacrifice of playing cricket worthwhile? Uh, if you look at uh, maybe other people going into business or studying uh, various uh, other things, etc., cetera, uh, that I think will be a good question to ask. And your answer? I would say I, I've actually thought about that quite a bit recently. Uh, at times I've, I've thought, mm, no, I, sh- I should have gone and I should have studied maybe physiotherapy because then you can work various other places. And I mentioned this to my father-in-law the other day, and he said, no, no, but just think about it. You have the lifestyle you have now because of what you did. Um, so, yes, I do think uh, the sacrifices were worth it. Um, I was fortunate enough to play long enough i think some guys don't always play long enough but the friendships you make the contacts you make the memories you have i think if you speak to a lot of the guys the memories they have of, of playing in teams and the ups and the downs and the like mags pranks etc those are the things that stick in your mind and they can't be bought i, I think most of the people out there that haven't played in that sort of environment are envious of, of the, the those experiences you've had playing against the best in the world, the Laris, the Shoaib actors, playing with the Lehmans of this world. Um, and that's something that money cannot buy. Mate, there's, there's probably 99.9% of the people listening to this who would cut the, probably both their arms off to have any kind of professional career in any kind of sport, if, even if not cricket. So... You know, yeah. I, I know that when you're coming through and you have, to, you know, you get into your teens and you start to take it seriously and you look at diets and you start to probably have to give up a few social occasions because you've got a game the next day, mm-hmm. etc. You give up meeting Pavarotti, you give up meeting Tiger Woods, whatever. Um, so there are yeah. there are sacrifices that you make as a professional sportsman, but I'll tell you what, I'd swap with you. Correct. Uh, and uh, I'd like to add this. Uh, obviously, hopefully there'll be some guys uh, listening and uh, the sacrifices you make are probably as important as the talents you have. Um, I've said this all along. There have been so many talented cricketers, sportsmen in general. You think, wow, this guy's going to make it. But he, he doesn't make the sacrifices like you mentioned. You know, there's so many facets to becoming a professional sportsman in, in any discipline. And they're so, so, so important to uh, to be disciplined, make the sacrifices uh, and, and be committed. I can remember when I used to drive into the car park at Headingley and I was obviously only working in the offices. I wasn't playing out there and getting all the applause and what have you. I, I used to think, oh, this is amazing. And I can remember when I first, my first day um, at Headingley and I, um, Ian Bishop, who was then the commercial director, took me into yeah. the East End indoor net area and the whole squad was there and he introduced me and I was, I was just like flipping out. He's telling me, um, you know, Darren Goff, this is mm. James. And I'm thinking, I know, you yeah. know, I know who that fella is. Mm. Uh, and it was quite um, yeah. in, intimidating. But there were times during my, my, my time at the club that I 
took it for granted maybe I forgot where I was working at times I had to pinch myself sometimes to just remind myself flipping out look what I'm doing here Mm. I'm working at uh, at Yorkshire County Cricket Club there'd be people that give their Mm. like we say their right arm to do this kind of thing did you did you ever feel that as a a player when you yeah that yeah it's obviously very very special to be working as a professional sportsman Mm. but you must get days where you kind of think you forget how how privileged you are I was going to say that anyway now that you've asked it uh, without a doubt there are days it becomes work and then the other times you have to think back as to when you were younger. You, you know, yeah. uh, I, I alluded to watching Alan Donald when I was growing up. Um, you'd, you'd go there and when it was tea time or lunch time, you'd go and you'd try and play on the field because that's what you wanted to do and you sort of dreamt about it. And then eventually, wow, the dream is being realized. And then there are days when you think, oh, no, not again. I, this is my fifth spell. Yeah. 160 hours in the field, uh, all to uh, those guys bowling fast or whatever. Uh, there are times uh, you forget that, but um, if you can just sort of keep that little thought in your head for a little bit longer, it will certainly help. Well, Dion Kreish, it was a pleasure to know you when you were at Yorkshire. It's a pleasure to still talk to you these days, and it's a pleasure to have you on for the second time answering the same questions, but this time, <laughs> this time, we're not going to corrupt the file, and people will actually hear this interview. Dion, thank you for doing it a second time. It's been great to talk to you again. No, the pleasure is mine. Thank you, and I hope uh, people enjoy it, and, and good luck with uh, the podcast. Thank you very much, James. It's that Badger style. Thank you very much indeed to Dion Creation. As I said at the start of that interview with him, we had a major disaster. I did an hour's chat with him. He gave some really good answers and then the file corrupted on my laptop and it's a measure of the amount that he came up trumps and he said, yeah, fine, I'll do it again. And I'm really appreciative of him for doing that. And I think it tells you a little bit about Dion Creation as well, that he was, uh, he was up for that second chat. You'll have heard him as well recently on the Goat Cricketer podcast for the South African Greats. I really appreciate his time on the Cricket Badger podcast and wish him well and his family for the future. Please like and subscribe. Leave a nice comment on the Cricket Badger podcast if you can, because it really does help actually get that message out there that it's worth listening to, as many of you are doing in ever-increasing numbers over the last couple of months. Thanks to tvsportsblog.com for their support of the podcast. Give them a follow on Twitter as well, at tvsportsblog. And I will return very, very soon with the next edition of the Cricket Badger Podcast. Got some really good names lined up for future guests on the show. And if you did put your name forward for a fans forum, I have not forgotten you. It's just that during lockdown, it's been so much easier to get players to come on to the Cricket Badger Podcast that I've tried to get them on when I can get them. And then we'll do a fans forum when I've exhausted those avenues. And we're probably back to playing cricket and the cricketers have got other things on their minds. And then we've got the potential to do a fans forum where we can talk about what the fans' views on cricket are. So don't think I've just ignored you. I have got you on my list and I will come to you as soon as I possibly can. But thank you very much for listening. I've been James. Hope you've enjoyed this edition of the Cricket Badger Podcast with my guest Dion Kreish. And hopefully I'll see you next time with another great guest on the Cricket Badger Podcast. Cheers all. Podcast Network.